0: I haven't even said a word yet. You hear me? Where are y'all? Okay. Um, would you I am John Christ, who is recovering from codependency. So, so please join me. Lord, I want to thank you for faithfully walking with me on this journey of recovery that I've been on. You know the struggles of everyone in this room, and I know that it is your desire to show them a better way and bring a peace in their lives that may have once seemed impossible. Help me to clearly relate my story, and let my words be words that you would have me speak. Lord, I thank you for the trials you have put before me. You have walked me through them, on a path that has ultimately led to greater peace in my life. You've been faithful and shown me what a powerful and yet merciful God you are. I pray that you'd show the same power, grace, and mercy to everyone in this room and give them hope and peace. Thank you, Jesus. So, uh, I grew up in a modest middle-class neighborhood in Chicago. Memories of my early childhood are mostly happy. I was a lucky kid to be able to spend summers on my uncle's farm in Kansas. There I enjoyed seemingly youngest days with my cousin, experiencing a life very different from that of the streets of Chicago. We lived across the street from a park at a time when it was a pr- before it was a prime spot for drug deals. That meant plenty of opportunity for football, Basketball, baseball, and even hockey games on a pond that the park would freeze for the winter. Life was good, and life was good until around the age of 12, when my mother went off the deep end, suffering from schizophrenia. Although, along with many other behaviors that were very strange, her paranoia caused her to accuse my father of having an affair with the pastor's wife. She would claim that my father was poisoning her coffee. A young boy normally believes everything his mother says, but this was totally out of character for the man I knew my father to be. He was a kind, generous, witty guy who everyone loved. It didn't make any sense. There are lots of changes going on in a 12-year-old boy, and this craziness left me confused, stressed out born between my parents. I was brought up in an extremely legalistic church, which left me believing that if something was fun, it must be a sin. My mother fully promoted this idea in a simple-minded and stubborn way, which caused many conflicts as I moved into my teenage years and began questioning things. My reactions to the conflict and craziness in our home was rebellion which led me to do many things I'm not particularly proud of today. A friend from the neighborhood and I would get into his father's liquor cabinet, get drunk, and then water the liquor down. (laughs) It worked. (laughs) We never got caught. (laughs) With others, I would sniff glue and drink bottles of cough syrup that contained coating. I loved the experience of escaping reality. When a friend from school turned me on to marijuana, I loved it. I became skeptical about what was said about the dangers of drugs and began using a variety of them. I loved downers, which put me in a welcome euphoric state. This was back in the 60s, when the hippie movement was alive, and LSD was quite common, so of course I was doing that. I hung out with a group that was getting deeper and deeper into drugs, and I was right there with them. Then one of my friends died in a fatal car crash while driving on downers. My reaction to that tragedy was that this kind of thing would never happen to me. Another one of my close friends got heavily into meth. One day I got a call from his mother telling me he had died of cardiac arrest, translate overdose. She asked me to be a pallbearer at his funeral. Seeing his mother, a normally very jolly person, crying uncontrollably had a big impact on me, but not enough to make me stop using. My closest friend who I had grown up next door to was now a serious alcoholic. He was a functioning one and maintained a good job, but his evenings were spent in isolation, heavy drinking, Deep depression. Eventually it got to where it was no fun to be around him. However, we never completely lost touch, even as my employment had me moving all over the country. One night while living in Boston, I got a call from him. He told me he had a gun and was going to end his life. I was able to tell my wife what was going on. She called 911 while I kept him on the phone the police arrived and his life was spared the gun was an illegal the gun was an illegal firearm but the court agreed to drop charges if he went into rehab he completed the typical 30 day spin dry and then went right back to drinking but by the grace of god a short while later he checked back into rehab and began to seriously work the AA program. He stayed sober and our friendship was restored. Unfortunately, many years of alcohol abuse had taken its toll on him. One day I got a call from his mother, another call from a mother, informing me he was on life support. I rushed back to Chicago, hoping to speak some last words to him, but he was in a coma, had no awareness that I was there. A short while later, he passed away. The death toll was rising as I had now lost three close friends to substance abuse. I knew there was something inside of me that was missing. Although I had always believed that God existed, my legalistic upbringing had left me completely void of any understanding of or desire for a relationship with him or whoever this Jesus guy was. I don't remember hearing that Jesus died on the cross for me during my time as a youth in church in Sunday school. Maybe I wasn't really listening, possibly because along with two other friends, we would often sniff glue in the basement of the church during services. Until 1995, when I attended a Promise Keepers event, I thought religion was nothing more than rules designed to suck the joy out of you. There at the Oakland Coliseum, I saw men who appeared to be truly joyful and having fun. This was not the way I'd come to view religious people. The music of the Maranatha Promise Keepers Band was a lot more inspiring than the dour organ music I experienced as a youth. Here I saw 60,000 men on their knees in prayer at the same place where the Raiders battled on the gridiron. Raiders fans I was gonna wear my Niners jersey but I didn't want rotten tomatoes thrown at me so um where was I (laughs) ah here it is okay um then having the band play an inspired version of holy 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 I was ready and turned my life over to Jesus I immediately felt the Holy Spirit washing over me, and I began to experience a taste of the joy those other men had. John 15:11 says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Then one day I got a call from a hospital back in Chicago telling me that my mother had been admitted, was in bad shape, that my brother was in jail on charges of elder abuse. This was no surprise to me. My brother was a self-centered person who only cared about himself. He hadn't worked a day since his early 20s and had been living off my mother. With my brother in jail, I had to obtain a power of attorney to move her into a nursing home. And shortly after that, put her in hospice care. While taking care of her affairs. While taking care of her affairs, I discovered that my brother had con- conned my mother into arranging things so that he would receive everything, and I would receive nothing when she passed away. Having the power of attorney, I was able to even things out. When he found out, he was furious. I asked him why he had done this, so he told me that he deserved it for putting up with her and taking care of her. Yeah, he took care of her, all right. I came to a point where I had to forgive my brother, even though he never asked forgiveness, but I knew that was what God wanted me to do. The damage drugs were to cause my life was still far from over. Fast forward to when I had two children in high school. I figured that by attending Christian school that they would turn out just fine. I was naive to the fact that many of the same things that go on in public school also go on in Christian schools. The telltale signs began to surface and it became obvious that my son was smoking weed. Although I wasn't happy about it, I figured most kids were dabbling in it, and it wouldn't amount to much. At least I hoped so. I guess I was wrong. Eventually, we discovered prescription meds missing, along with money, jewelry, and electronics. We contacted Scott Miller, pastor of recovery at Big Valley Grace, and he told us we had to set boundaries and put him out of the house if he continued using I felt this guy was over the top. Of course, he was right. But at the time, I was clearly in denial. Eventually, we did kick him out of our home. This was heart-wrenching for me and truly one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Eventually, our son moved from pain meds to heroin and a life in and out of rehabs, living on the streets and overdoses that came dangerously close to taking his life. Why was this happening to me? I had lost three friends to substance abuse, and as disturbing as that was, the thought of losing my own son was totally unbearable. I began to ask God why he would allow my son to be born if this was the life he was destined to live. My faith was wearing thin. Being a typical guy, I went to work to fix the situation. It's what any good codependent does. Most of my hard work, however, was extremely misguided. I was beginning to come out of denial somewhat, but fell prey to the codependent behaviors of controlling, enabling, anger, bitterness, resentment, and shaming. I spent countless hours on a website where our carrier detailed my son's calls and texts. I took the numbers I gathered and used online lookup services to find out who owned the numbers. I discovered that if I entered a phone number in a Facebook search, it would take me to the owners page. It was easy to determine who the drug users and dealers were, as well as the shops where he pawned things that I knew didn't belong to him. I could now track whenever he was collecting, contacting any of these people. Perfect. I was in control, right? Um, Looking back, I have no clue what what I was hoping to accomplish. All this did was to severely increase my already high anxiety. It was a desperate attempt to control things that were far beyond my control. Enabling was a huge problem for me. Despite the numerous times I had been conned by him, I continued to be naive and believe my son's stories. Maybe I didn't believe them as much as wanting to believe them. After all, shouldn't a good Christian father be helping his son? I had a lot to learn. Whenever I got angry with him, it often led me to shaming him. I would explode at him and tell him he was destroying everyone who loved him. This would upset him, and that is exactly what I wanted to do. It made me so angry to think that my heroin addict son could shoot up to escape his emotional pain Well, I had no way to escape the pain he had put on me. One time, I put him in an out-of-town motel to detox with the agreement that he would rehab, he would enter rehab in Stockton. I took his clothes in an effort to keep him from running. Clever, huh? (laughs) When I picked him up, he didn't want to go. I pushed the issue and got him into the car. When we stopped for a bathroom break along the way, he started walking away. I was furious and ran after him. I tried to force him back into the car when an off-duty fireman who was passing by intervened, saying I had no right to force him into the car. The whole situation was ridiculous since I was recovering from a very recent knee replacement seriously could not have run after him but for the adrenaline raging through me. Out of anger, I tried to con- once again control my son into doing something he was not ready for nor committed to doing. That anger only served to hurt me both physically and emotionally. One of the unfortunate things about dealing with a substance user is that it frequently has a devastating effect on relationships among their loved ones. This was particularly true in my own marriage. My wife and I always seemed to be on opposite ends of the spectrum regarding how to deal with this situation. This would lead to heated arguments over which was the better of two equally bad ideas. There was a lot of anger between us. At this point, I hadn't yet learned that anger can be a secondary emotion for the pain one is experiencing. There's a saying that hurt people hurt people. This was true of us, and we came dangerously close to destroying our marriage. I would get so mad at my son, my wife, God, yes, God, and the rest of the world. I kept asking the question, can't he see this makes no sense? Why doesn't he just quit? I had a lot of bitterness and resentment towards him, my wife, and anyone offering me useless advice. I've since learned that bitterness is like taking the poison and expecting the other person to die. I became more and more isolated. I didn't want to be around people and hear about good things happening in their families. When someone would ask about my son, it was particularly depressing. I couldn't speak honestly because of my pride. I felt I would be looked upon as a failure parenting. It was getting crazier for me as more and more of his high school classmates were getting ahead in life, graduating college, or getting married. I didn't want to hear it because it would sink me into depression knowing this would never happen with my son. Things were not good and I saw no end in sight. One night my wife asked me to go to a party. This was the last thing I wanted For some reason, I reluctantly agreed to go. There I met a guy who who I immediately connected with. Everything about his life was a parallel to mine, only more so. He had two sons who struggled with substance abuse. He had separated from his wife for over four years, but amazingly they had reconciled. He understood, and it was easy to talk to him because he totally got it. We spent the whole evening sharing experiences. He told me about a Celebrate Recovery group called COCA, which stood for codependency with a chemical addict. He said the group consisted of only himself and one other guy. He invited me to join them. Although I was at a place where I didn't really want to talk to people about what was going on, I felt this guy was different, and I figured at least I could be comfortable with him. The next week I went testimony that night spoke powerfully to me as I heard the story of someone who had gone through years of multiple rehabs and relapses and had now achieved a long period of sobriety. This person gave credit to God and CR. This gave me a glimmer of hope for my son. I was now ready to go to an open share group and learn how to fix my son. By the way, that's how most guys go into these groups. I wasn't alone. I was now ready to go. Oh, I did that already. Um, little did I understand that this was not possible, and that only the only person I had any hope of fixing was myself. The weeks went by, and slowly men came into the group. I started looking forward to these open chair meetings with humble men who were not afraid to talk about how they were dealing with the same issue. We were learning from one another without trying to fix each other. We supported each other during our darkest moments. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 says, Two are better than one, for if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up. Proverbs twenty seven seventeen says, "As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another." Amen. Doug M., one of the two originals in the group, kept repeating the point that the real growth in CR comes in step studies. I knew I needed to progress further on on the road of recovery, and I decided to give it a try. Doug, wherever you are, thank you for the encouragement. I David F., the man who first invited me to CR, to be my sponsor. Dave, wherever you are, um, you've been an awesome friend. we have shared so much. And I couldn't have made this journey without you. Love you, brother. At first, every time I would leave for the steps, it took everything in me to keep from turning back home. Step studies are not easy. They can be tough, and Satan will present you with every possible excuse to get you to drop out. Well, in the step study, my wife and I were not in a good place. My daughter wasn't speaking to me, and my son had overdosed in Seattle, where it took multiple doses of Narcan to revive him. God knew I needed to be in that step study and put Dave, my sponsor, in my life to help guide me through those very dark times. God's timing truly is perfect. I can't say that things got better all that quickly. Recovery takes time, and God has his own timing for us. When good things would happen, I'd be on top of the world. When bad things happened, I'd sink into depression. We talk in our group about staying off the roller coaster ride. When the roller coaster climbs to the top, life couldn't be better But when it reaches the top, typically you go soaring down at breakneck speed to the lowest of lows. We joke about only riding the kiddie roller coaster, where the highs aren't as high and the lows aren't as low. I have since co-facilitated and completed step studies and have had the privilege of sponsoring several men. In each step study, I've gained new insights and a deep understanding of how the 12 steps and eight biblical principles work to bring about recovery and a life of greater peace and freedom from the chain Satan wants to bind us with. I'm learning that when I feel myself becoming anxious or stressed, to go back to steps one to three, where I'm reminded that I am powerless, but if I surrender the situation to God, he is the all-powerful one. Matthew 19.26 says, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. I know that with God in my life, surrender is strength and not weakness. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. There's great wisdom in the simple recovery statement advising us to let go and let God. When I get stuck in a bad place, I can go to step four and work through an inventory. This helps me to get to the bottom of the situation. I have learned through doing my personal inventory that it's more important to take care of my side of the street than trying to control the other person and change their behavior. I have found step 10 to be very important in my recovery. It reads, we continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. As God works on me, I endeavor to recognize that when things escalate, I need to step back, find what my part is in the situation, even if I think it is small, then set my pride aside, admit where I am wrong, and do this as quickly as possible. I've also found that applying this, the acronym Q-TIP, which stands for quit taking it personally, can help me avoid many conflicts in the first place. Although I still have a long way to go, I can say that much has improved in my life, in no small part because of Celebrate Recovery. Our family has been restored and by the grace of God my son has four years of sobriety. He is married and has a daughter, my precious granddaughter Scarlett. She is truly a gift from God. He is working as an apprentice electrician with a large Christian owned company and taking evening classes to become a journeyman electrician. Stuff I never thought would be possible. He loves his work and is learning so much. He has worked with high school and junior high kids here in the landing. He has shared his story in schools and public forums. Amazingly, he has accomplished all of this without me fixing him. I am truly proud of the fine young man he has become. One thing I have learned is that codependency is no different from chemical, sexual, food, gambling or any other addiction and that is a part of you that will always be there to some degree. Through recovery we make great strides and can have tremendous victories but the moment we believe I've got this we are likely headed for trouble. This is the reason I have found steps 10 to 12, known as the maintenance steps, so important. Another thing I have learned about codependency is that even though I was motivated to recognize it and work on it because of the substance abuse in our family, it affects so many other areas of my life. I am learning that not only is it not my responsibility to fix people, it took a while for that to get through, um, but I don't have to do everything for them. This robs them of the opportunity to empower themselves. I would like to mention Scott Miller, that guy who I really didn't care for at first. He spoke the truth in love to me and took a personal interest in our family. If you hear this, Scott, and I'm sure you're listening, I want to thank you. You have been such a blessing to our family in so many ways. To so the newcomer, I encourage you to give this thing called Celebrate Recovery a chance. In fact, I urge you. In my time at CRR, I have witnessed so many lives changed. Come back to be encouraged by the teachings and testimonies. Then take the next step and join an open share group where you can gain insight and encouragement from, encouragement from others who share similar hurts, habits, and hangings there it is my prayer that you'll establish relationships with people who can walk alongside you in your journey of recovery. Finally, when you're ready, join the step study. Here I guarantee that you'll find insight and gain tools to help you conquer those hurts, habits and hang-ups that are dragging your life down. Thank you for letting me share. God bless you all.
1: In my heart. There it is. Found it. Just thought I'd keep talking. So thank you, John, for sharing your story with us. Um, man, it is, again, one of those cool things to see people when they first walk in and where they're at now. And if you're just first walking in, it is uh, going to be cool to see you up here one day sharing your testimony. And everyone's like, it eh, ain't going to be me. No, it will be. It'll be all right. Some of you, it's your turn. It's your turn. But let's, uh, if you see John around at dessert time or around in the rooms, make sure you encourage him and uh, tell him what impacted your life through his story. Here's the focus question for tonight is what are three things that you have today that you didn't have before recovery? And so, good question, good question. Uh, Let's close with a serenity prayer. God, if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever the next. Amen. Amen.